I'm John Perry. I'm Ted Cupper. And this is Constellation, making the graphic novel. Join us as we build an original science fiction world. Okay, welcome back, everybody. How are you doing today, John? I'm good. Uh, I spent a lot of today doing some last-minute writing. Excellent. <laughs> I procrastinated a bit on these pages. That but, is why uh, we have these recording days, is to give you a deadline so it gets done, and me too. Um, no shame in doing it right before, but I'm excited to read what you have, so let's get right into it. And um, uh, if you're uh, forgotten from last week, we ended um, at the at the uh, Gaia ceremony and they were just about to announce uh, the Gaia goes to dot, dot, dot. And that was the end of the last page. So here we are starting in on page 22. Um, Take it away, John. All right. So we are in what looks like a vast airplane hangar, but instead of planes, there are rows of teleportation platforms. And groups of people weave their way through, looking for the nearest open platform. Above the scene, a large sign says, Welcome to Magnerbia. And an eight-digit population counter is in the process of ticking up. In the next panel, Tim stands on one of these platforms. He addresses a control panel at the end of the platform. Take me to the residence of Dave and Cindy Ito. On the next page, we get an overhead view of what looks like a compressed suburb. A regimented grid of footpaths demarcates blocks, and each block contains only a single miniature residence. The house is very wildly in design, but they are all not much bigger than a small cabin or igloo, with the front door taking up a large portion of the front-facing wall. Tim appears before one of these houses, one that has a vaguely Spanish style. And then in the next panel, Tim walks towards that home's entrance. On the next page, uh, we see that on the other side of the door, Tim has just walked through. He enters the front hall of a gigantic, opulent mansion. And the size and scope of the home's interior is notably incongruous with the exterior we just saw. Tim says, hello? Next panel, Tim makes his way down one of the hallways, not seeing anyone. And then in the next panel, he enters another room, not noticing a gigantic spider on the ceiling just above him. And the spider says, boo. And then in the next panel, Tim turns around, confused, but not the least bit scared. Dad? And in the next panel, the spider is replaced by a short, friendly-looking man, Dave Ito. (laughs) He brushes off some bits of webbing that are still hanging off of him. And Dave says... Darn, I thought I'd get more of a reaction. In the next page, Tim and Dave are hugged somewhat awkwardly, and Dave says, good to see you. Dave then leads Tim through another fancy room of the house, and he says, I heard the news about the Gaias. I'm really sorry about that. Tim, oh right. Well, I still was one of only five nominees, so I'm pretty happy about that. And Dave, I know how much that award meant to you, but maybe now you won't be quite so busy, huh? Dave leads Tim through an outdoor courtyard, past a large pool. Tim, I suppose. Dave, in fact, your mom and I have been talking about how maybe you could stay with us for a while. Tim, oh, I, uh... Dave, and actually, before we join the others, I gotta show you what we just got. Excitedly, Dave opens a door onto a big, empty room, literally just full of pure white space and gestures inside. 
Tim looks unhappy. And Dave says, We licensed some world space you could use if you stayed here. It's got access to all the best design libraries and prime listing on Magnurbia's independent art network, so you might even get a few walk-ins. In the next panel, a woman suddenly appears in the white space and looks around confused. Dave says, whoops, there's one right now. And he says to the woman, sorry, we're still under construction. Woman, then why the hell is it listed? In the next panel, Dave leads Tim down another long hall. Anyway, something to think about the next page. With Dave holding the door, Tim enters a cozy living room in the back of the house. Sitting and enjoying drinks are Cindy Ito, Tim's mom, Chris Ito, Tim's uncle, Dash Ito, Tim's son, who is naked, and a male and female cyclops, uh, which are a couple from down the street. Cindy says excitedly when she sees her son, Tim! Tim and Cindy hug, and Dash hovers nearby. Uh, In the next panel, Tim and Dash shake hands, and Dash says, Hi, Dad. Tim, hey, I wasn't sure if you'd be here. And Cindy interjects, Oh, he visits us all the time. In the next panel, we see a table covered with a giant prehistoric feast, like something out of the Flintstones. The centerpiece is a roast stegosaurus, complete with a fruit in its mouth. In the next panel, we see the family sitting around the table, and Cindy serves people. Tim, why live in a place with all the best food designers if you're going to order the same thing every holiday? And Cindy says, I thought you liked this one. In the next panel, Tim takes a bite of stegosaurus. Tim, actually, it's a bit more bland this time. Cindy. Oh, I'm sorry. We can always conjure you something else. Tim, no, I meant that in a good way. At least it's different. Next page. Tim looks over at Dash, who doesn't have any food in front of him at all. Tim, you bored by the food as well? Dash, I'm not hungry. Tim, why don't you just turn your hunger on? This is like the one time here we all eat together. Dash looks like he wants to say something, but can't find the words. And then in the next panel, we see a wider shot where everyone at the table looks at Tim, and Tim looks confused. Tim, what? Cindy gestures at Dash. Cindy says, Dash is a defaultist now. I thought you knew that. Tim looks very surprised, and Dash looks sheepish. Tim, what? How would I know that? When did this happen? Dash says, it's been like a year. We see a wider shot with Tim, Cindy, and Dash all in it. Tim, how can you even be here? Aren't you supposed to stay on the world where you were born? And Cindy says, oh, please, he's not one of those orthodox types. It's just something nice he's into, like you and your art stuff. On the next page, we see Tim turning to Dash. Tim, you know, if I had been a defaultist, you wouldn't even exist. Cindy. Tim. What? I'm just stating facts. Birth control is the default, unless you get to bend that rule as well. Dash begins speaking gospel. Dash says, I cannot change the fact that I was born. I can only accept the defaults I was born into. After this, the table eats in silence for a beat, and Tim looks weirded out. The male cyclops tries to make conversation. Tim, I hear you were up for a Gaia award. Tim doesn't look thrilled to discuss it. Tim, yeah, I was. Cindy says, I was so sorry to hear about the loss, Timmy. We know how much that award meant to you. Close on Tim, cutting a slice of stegosaurus. Tim, well, I was one of only five nominees. Next panel, Dave stands up from the table and says, The fight's about to start. Everyone ready to head over to the amphitheater? On the next page, we see a slick-looking sports host... Addressing us from a desk. We've still got five minutes to go before the championship battle. Let's see what monster designer Kevin Tanaka had to say in our interview earlier today. The family files into a small home amphitheater. The sports show is holographically projected onto the amphitheater stage. Mrs. Cyclops says, Oh, I missed this interview earlier. Now, Kevin, last time you put a monster up against Giordano, you were seriously lacking in flame defenses. Can we assume you won't be making that mistake again? The host holds a microphone up to a very handsome Kevin Tanaka. 
So Tanaka says, let's just say that I tried to account for all the possibilities in my new design. Host, very coy, I like that. But it also seems unlikely that Giordano would try the same gambit twice. So by that logic, maybe you could skip the flame defenses. Close on Tanaka with a smile. Tanaka says, well, that's where the mind games come in, don't they? Angle on the family seated, watching the show unfold. Tim sits one row back, arms folded, bored. Cindy says, Tanaka's got such a beautiful avatar. What an amazing designer. Mr. Cyclops. Apparently, it's not even designed. That's just how he looked before the transition. Close on Dave. He says, They're about to unveil the monsters. Tim, are you watching this? A wider angle on the family watching. The shadow of large claws and tentacles can be seen in the foreground. Dave is turning around to where Tim was just seated, but Tim has vanished. Dave asks, Tim? On the next page, we're in the busy lobby of Agoria that we've seen before. Mm-hmm. Tim makes his way through the crowd. In the next panel, we see him press a button on one of the terminals. And then in the next panel, wandering through a sea of tents that make up the Agoria Bazaar. In the next panel, Tim peels back the flap of one of the tents, and next he's inside the tent and sitting in front of a small fire. He asks the fire, Contract status? Words arise from the fire, and the fire says, Unexecuted. Zoya has not returned to this world since the time of signing. Tim looks frustrated by this answer. On the next page, we see a different landscape and three humanoid creatures standing around looking confused. The first one has giant eyes, but no ears and no arms either. The second one has giant ears, but no eyes or arms. And the third one has big arms, but no eyes or ears. Ears. I think I hear something rumbling in the distance. Eyes looking around. Which direction? A giant bear-like creature lumbers towards them. Eyes. I see it now. It's a big creature coming toward us. And the one with big arms is reaching out and grabs at uh, the ears. Is there a weapon? Tell me what to grab. Ears. Let go of my ears. In the next panel, the bear comes through and swings his giant paw at the three of them, sending them flying in a spray of blood. Next, we see the severed head of ears lying on the ground. And Ears says, Eject! On the next page, we see what looks like an empty classroom with chairs in a circular arrangement. And then the same shot, but now flashes of light in each of the chairs as people teleport into them. We see an angle on one of the people who just teleported in, the workshop moderator. In the background, we can see Tim sitting in one of the chairs as well, as a straggler or two are still materializing. The moderator says, Okay, so that was interesting. We get a close on Jax, who is the maker of the world currently being workshopped. He looks sheepish. We hear the moderator say off screen, So Jax, I think you have a pretty good foundation for a game here, but I'm not sure I picked up on exactly what you're trying to say with this piece. Jax, oh, it's not meant to be a game. Or it is kind of, but also not, if you know what I mean. I guess I wanted to subvert the game form. I wanted to seem maybe like there's a goal and you can win, but you actually can't. Moderator looks skeptical. I see. Very interesting. Anyone have any feedback to share, Tim? And Tim doesn't hold back. Tim, so I think it's decently crafted, but the concept you have is weak. I mean, a game you can't actually win? That's been done before, like literally a thousand times before. I'm sure it was annoying even the first time. On the next page, we see that the workshop is now over and people are beginning to file out. Tim and the moderator linger behind. The moderator says, it's nice to have you back, Tim. You're definitely willing to say things I can't. Tim, hey, I noticed Zoya wasn't here today. Is she still coming to this? The moderator smiles. Oh, I haven't seen her for a while. I think maybe she's outgrown this place now. She's kind of big time. Tim is, starts heading out. Gotcha. Just checking. The moderator shouts after him. I mean, 
You're pretty big time yourself. Your art role was definitely one of the better ones of last year. On the next page, we see Tim walking out of the classroom and onto the idyllic Mechania campus. But then Tim turns as someone calls to him off screen. And it's Arturo shouting, Tim! So Tim turns, and from his perspective, we see Arturo approaching. And Arturo says, I've been trying to reach you. I left messages on your homeworld and at your dorm here on Mechania. And then we see a two-shot of Tim and Arturo together. Oh, sorry about that. I've got a new world concept I'm really excited about. We see an angle on Tim looking pained. And then finally the same angle where Tim finds the strength to say what's on his mind. So that's great that you have a new idea, but the thing is I'm not sure if I want to keep working with you. And we get an angle on Arturo looking surprised. Wait, what? Really? A wide shot showing Tim and Arturo... Uh, and much of the campus in the background. And Arturo says, But I don't understand. What's changed? Honestly, I I didn't think you'd be this surprised. We've barely talked for the last month. Is it the contest loss? Because we were only one of five nominees. That's still a huge success. Tim, I don't know. Some people said our world was a bit half-baked, and I kind of agree. Like, I did my best in all the physics stuff, but I'm not really sure what you were trying to say either. Arturo starts getting mad. Well, if it was half-baked, maybe that's because you hurried us to get done for that fucking contest deadline. I told you we needed more time. Tim, I don't know. Would more time have really helped? Arturo and Tim continue arguing. A few people walking behind them on the campus seem to have noticed their fight. Of course it would have helped. You think I'm happy how it turned out? Tim, so you agree with me then? Close on Arturo raging. There were literally dozens of other contests we could have applied for, but you had such a hard-on for getting into Altoff that we had to rush everything just to get into some rigged competition against a bunch of VIPs. Tim looks tired. I don't need to have this argument. I got somewhere I gotta go. Gotta go where? To check on your contract? I know you think you have some sort of deal with Princess Zoya, but trust me, whatever you've got isn't worth shit. Tim teleports out as Arturo continues shouting at him. Have fun chasing after your stupid club. I bet it's chock full of striving assholes just like you. All right. Well, that's exciting. I mean, I don't have a lot of comments on it. I liked um, I liked the weirdness of it. I liked that it was consistently surprising me. Um, the weird sporting event that they're watching and stuff like that. I think that's all pretty cool. I like the way you handled the defaultist reveal on the sun. Um, it's a lot of characters, so I think when we look at it the second time, we might eliminate one or two of the speaking roles here, um, but just so that, you know, because, like, there's just going to be so many characters in this world, and I think design-wise and remembering people, there might be, we might want to do that, but overall, I think it's really good. I think I like a lot of it. Um, yeah, I, I like how weird it is. I think, um, I guess the only choice that I may be questioning a little bit in my head is Tim just straight up telling him he doesn't want to work with him rather than more passive aggressively pissing him off. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's, like, uh, which I, yeah. Just, I, I think it, there's a think certain, right. there's a certain like narrative clarity to what you chose that I don't hate, but I think I might just, just on a character level, buy it a little more if he, um, insults Arturo just a little more obliquely and gets Arturo to kind of say like, well, what do you not want to work with me? You know, kind of like makes him say it um, rather than just coming right out with it. But that's the only thing I a little bit question as a choice. And, and uh, 
I yeah, actually, yeah, that that bugged me when I when that we got to that part too. I felt like oh, he says it a little bit too easily. So maybe right, this so is a I little agree. easy. So yeah, that's all yeah, put yeah. here. Maybe a little easy. Um, yeah, I think. Uh, I mean, I'm not married to any of this stuff. The one, the one thing I sort of stumbled into that I I think I kind of like is that like we talked about like the uncle or something being no, defaulted, but it, I like his son. It, I think defaulted. the son is great, and I love that you made it like. A little bit like he's uh, gay or something, <laughs> um, or like uh, I don't know the way that you revealed it and the way that Tim is a little bit judgmental about it and stuff like really works for me. I think that's funny and shows us what their relationship is like and that he is his son, but um, you know he their father son relationship was all forged inside the constellation. So it's a bit different from the, the father son relationship that he has with Dave and Cindy, uh, because they, you know, they had, they had that time pre transition to forge a more kind of traditional type of relationship. Um, and I think that's cool. I, I was getting that sense from the way that you wrote that. So I think that that's pretty cool. I think we should go with that. I think that's a good stumble. I also like, I think, I mean, one of the difficulties with these sequences is that there's not a lot of plot actually happening in these scenes, right? Like, because the, literally the only, like, essential plot beat that I had to cover was that, like, he didn't win the contest. Right. And he's waiting on Zoya. Right. And he hasn't heard from her. Like, that was it. And, like, but the rest of it is all there to sort of, like, vaguely establish Tim and his motivation and his world. And like that's really tricky. And I, so you know, like I, 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 I winged a bunch of things. Like, but I, I think if we conceive Tim as someone who's like bored with a lot of stuff easily and is like seeking novelty, that him, his son being a defaultist is kind of like, yeah, like, it's really like offensive to his needles him in the right way. Yeah, 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 yeah. I like that. I think that 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 was a natural fit. And yeah, I did notice that like we actually revealed that he lost like several times in this. So when we go over it, we may find that we can thin that out a little bit. But I also think it's funny that he's needled by it and he keeps saying this excuse, but he doesn't really believe the excuse. And then that comes back up when he's talking to our Yeah, I was trying to do that. I think that um, could be done more artfully, but I, I think you see what I'm like, Yeah, yeah, yeah. I definitely like understood the, the 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 direction you're going in there. And I think um yeah, I mean, when we get around to rewriting this, we may trim um, since we had more than one opportunity to say, like, uh, I heard you didn't win, basically, have somebody say that. So we can, we might want to, like, it might be fun to sort of push that a bit later and, and let the audience make assumptions for a little while. And then, um, but yeah, I think uh, it, it, honestly, I don't know. I guess, yeah, I, I think the, the specifics of the family and stuff, they seem to be working. The, the the parent characters are fun. And I'm interested to see what else we can use them for as we move forward. Because I know that they don't figure deeply into the plot. But um, I suspect we can, you know, we can have scenes where he talks to any of those family members uh, uh, if we need to have him, you know, sort of thinking aloud about something later in the story. Um yeah, and I, so. I think, um, you know, I mean, obviously they live in this, like, 
like the like the mansion they live in is probably like this stock mansion that like everybody right. has, right? right? Which I think is sort of interesting in of itself. Uh, but but yeah, I mean, as far as like what they're about, like I don't know, it just sort of made sense that they would just obviously we'd wanted them to. They don't really take like Tim's like pursuits that seriously, and they're basically just like like Tim, why don't you like hang out with us more? <laughs> you know, like. Yeah, yeah. Like, like, they, oh, like they, that, that they cute have that... thing you do. Why don't you do it here in Magnerbia? Right. <laughs> in this room we set up for you. Right. Yeah, I know. I like that they have some blank space for him. You know, the whole idea of like licensing space and everything is is interesting and shows you a little um, window into how Magnerbian economy works, I guess, because that's like an arbitrary decision that they would have made to to have people do that sort of yeah, thing. Yeah, I'm not sure about the mechanics of um, that part. I I would I could let that part go. It's but like, yeah, I mean, like I thought about it and I thought like, well, that's interesting, but I'm not sure we're using it somewhere else. So, if that's, you know, it's if it doesn't end up coming back, uh then maybe we uh eliminate that and we just say I allocated some free space for you. You know, it doesn't necessarily have to be something that they paid for, right? Um they could have just told the told the exec to carve out some space for for uh for him to have permission over you know and maybe that's what it is like i can grant you you know i can grant you permission to this space and then you can design it however you want you know something like that um this subspace yeah of my yeah i think that that would be fine it's like yeah it's a similar idea it just doesn't involve money then if we don't want to i mean i think you know that I'm not, yeah, and I'm not even saying that it couldn't be the way you suggested I, with licensing and stuff. I absolutely could. It's just, that just sort of like, that's sort of, we're saying something then about how Magnerbia works that we want to then um, use somewhere else. Yeah, and they, I feel like they shouldn't really have money. I don't know. It's like, it's also just a little more too complicated. So I, 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 I don't know. It was something I was trying, but I, I think it could be simplified in the way you're saying, and it'd probably be better. Um, I mean, the other, uh, the, <sighs> Yeah, changing topics really quick. I, yeah. I, I, we need some. We we have this concept of an exec, right? But yeah. the exec has not appeared in any meaningful way in the text so far. Um, we have like various like literal contracts that get signed, and then I sort of like recreated your Agoria scene. But like the first time they were in the tent they were signing a literal contract and this time i had like the fire speaking which is weird i mean i i just like we need to figure out how we're gonna show that's kind of stuff yeah 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 that's something that's worth some thought things that you can do by just talking to the exec you have to be instantiated in a world and then you can talk to the exec um so maybe you wouldn't need to find a fire or something to to check your status but yeah maybe we need a visual way because this is a visual medium for the exec to appear um like that's the thing is that we you know we we, we thought of this as being yeah we thought of this as being something that is interacting with you uh through your ears through your sense of hearing but um it may be that we have to just reimagine it as a textual version because uh, even if we are, it's we're going to be representing it textually either way, right? So either we're representing sound textually and we have some visual language for that, like 
you know, uh, the, the, the words appear in the sky or the words appear in a specialized bubble or a special font or something. Right. Um, or, or we just sort of reconceptualize it as like people see the words in the language that they read in, you know, um, uh, which also is also okay. I, you know, I mean, it doesn't actually indicate, I think any more sophistication on the part of the, the exact software. Um, it's also like fairly arbitrary actually some confusion between, you know, if you build a world and a lot of the worlds we're showing, mm-hmm. um, are very built out. Right, right, right. So yeah, so, we, we have these like kiosks and, and so, yeah, you don't control like, centers and stuff that you're not like the exec was used to build the kiosk. Exactly. But now you're just dealing with the kiosk. So that kind of confuses the, um, the issue and maybe maybe right. we need to simplify it um yeah maybe we need to replace those kiosks with like a big sign that says you know um ask your exec to configure your contract <laughs> basically you know like the way that a, a, an advertisement will say go to this website and click here you know to begin or something um maybe it just says like ask exec for contract options or something. And then you have to do it, all of the actual interaction that happens through the exec. Um, you know, the other thing though, is that if the, if the exec is literally just a voice in your head, yeah, then like things like Tim checking, like on the contract with Zoya, maybe would work better if we had, like active Tim voiceover, which is also something we're not, we talked about using, but are not using. Right. And I'm not opposed to using that. So, I mean, maybe that's just something that we add on a next pass. Um, although if you, if you start seeing places for it, I'd say just go ahead and start using it and we can, we can, but I think that might help. Yeah. If, if he has a voiceover and then, you know, we have some font or other, or, or a box design or something that lets us indicate when he's hearing the other voice in his head and when he, you know, and then he speaks to it and then he hears it and he speaks to it and hears it, you know? Um, and yeah, I don't know. It's worth considering whether a graphical solution, you know, the words appearing in the, in the air in front of you kind of thing might just be better. <laughs> just because it's a visual medium. Um, even if I think auditory is maybe more believable in terms of what would actually be implemented because it's low attention and, you know, there's some advantages to auditory. Well, if the but, words appear... Well, I mean, the words could appear on the comic page and we could still imply that they're in people's heads, maybe. I mean, the, the, I guess the problem is that if there's two characters there, right, like... Do, do both characters hear it or not, right? Um, and, like, that's sort of the the difficulty. Although, we could just avoid situations like that. I mean, I, I feel like, right, I think that's kind of the case either way. And I guess I was imagining that in either case, the answer is no. Like, um, whether they're words on the that appear in your field of vision or whether they are uh, sounds that 
appear in what you know in your head uh, as as audio um, that they are internal to your brain. They're being introduced directly to your s- s- sensory inputs rather than um, being instantiated in the world for anyone to see or hear who's nearby. Um, and we could maybe show that by having one character looking at um, a panel of text, for example, like the contract, um, the contract uh, 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 language, um, and it could be angled toward their face in the in the frame, and then we could see the same area from a different angle from the other character's point of view, and they could be looking at nothing, right? They could be. It would look like they're looking at nothing from the other angle. And then we know that that person can't see what the first person sees. Right. 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 So I could see, we could, we could sort of like demonstrate that. I think if we want to make that the visual language and then, um, you know, I think that's not a bad idea to consider. Um, but then, yeah, there's also the sort of in between option where we represent it. It's sound, but we represent it with text and we do some option like, um, like what they did in Saga, where the voiceover is like painted directly onto the um p- panels and is not in a bubble and is not in the normal font or something, some something like that, where it's clearly a different uh thing than the than the regular text bubbles. Um, and I think that would work as well. Um. Right. Or it okay, could even so, be like, I mean, a really, you know, maybe the most cheesy thing you could do or the most common would be to have it be a text bubble that's just coming from like above, you know, like as if it's God or whatever. Um, it's just coming from like above and you can't see where. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that know. makes sense. Um, all of those are potential options. But do you, but I mean, like this issue of like so much of what we're showing is just like infrastructure, right? Like, okay, so I mean, if we just go for the script so far, I mean, I don't want to go through the whole thing, obviously, but like the opening scene, they're making some changes to the world they're building. So we could show, we could, de- this is definitely a case where exec is relevant. We could show an exec command in that first sequence. Yeah, um, I mean, I think the way it's currently set up, that scene is really he's just sort of demonstrating some recent changes. But yeah, absolutely, we could change that so that there's an active edit somewhere in that scene, and we have to see him call up the exec and, and execute the edit. Um, that's something I thought about, but I didn't actually get in in that bit. And then, yeah, I think, you know, your other point that, like, all these other worlds have, like, infrastructure that we're sort of ad hoc making up for them like control panels and uh atm machine like uh uh, ticket machine type things and stuff like that um all that could basically be replaced by or automated by the exec and maybe should be i i don't know why our instinct so far has been to like if it's a well-trafficked world, it probably has some really like streamlined method of getting people in and out or something was maybe my, my thought about why, why I kind of imagined it that way rather than having everybody who lands in Agoria, um, uh, for example, uh, you know, just telling their exec, okay, um, you know, scour through the local contracts and, and show me the ones that have X and Y 
permissions open or, or whatever it is, you know, like the more sort of like open-ended um, pro program like way to, to do it. Um, I mean, I think that makes more sense. It's just not quite as visually interesting as like all the, the traffic and the lobbies and the kiosks. And yeah. The... Well, I was also thinking about like visual storytelling too, like seeing him press up, like if there's two buttons standard and, VIP and we see him press the standard button, then, you know, we've told you something about him and, uh, we don't see Zoya press the button, but then she has VIP privileges. So we, you know, we're left to figure out, Oh, she would have pressed the other button. Um, so there's like, there's like a visual storytelling aspect to it. That's sort of appealing, but yeah, I, 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 I take the point you're making that, we should probably be using the exec for all this stuff because it, you know, it's probably confusing to the, to the reader for us not to, even though I think, well, it, I mean, I, I guess I, I was sort of posing that as a, as a question. I, I didn't necessarily claim that we should definitely cut the infrastructure stuff because it is visual, but I mean, we definitely like, we definitely need to be mindful of the fact that if we have like too many interfaces, it could get weird. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think the the imp the instinct is to design similar interfaces to our world. Um, but I think the there is probably a good solution of like making a way to make the exec visual enough to use it as the interface for these things, and we should probably do that work. I think that's a that's a legitimate concern. Uh, I also think you know, since we're gonna be hopping worlds so often. Um, we may want to just introduce these worlds in like a standard way. Like every time you go to a new world, just like I'll have a box that says Agoria or something. Right. You know, that just like tells you exactly where you are. Right, right, right. Yeah. I mean, I think we can make that decision pretty late in the, in the game, but yeah, I agree. I think that's something we can consider. And maybe like the first time we go to the world, there's a big box that says Agoria and then subsequent times it's just a small box with a similar font or something that you know tells you you're back because sometimes we might be switching worlds multiple times on a page or something right so we want to we'd want to have a really flexible language that would allow us to do rapid teleportation if we need it now the um the the voiceover heavy option right i just want to like float this one more time because you could do like, so like when Tim's going to check the contract, right? Like you see him just right. standing in the Agoria Bazaar, like wandering around or something. Yeah. And like the, the voiceover is just telling you like, like yet another day I checked the exec and, you know, like got no like response on the contract or whatever. Right. right? We just get like his internal monologue. And right. since we are so close on, tim and then eventually zoya like we we could almost handle a lot of it that way um well, as yeah. long as we're showing like counter visuals that are like remaining interesting yeah yeah um, yeah. well and i think even sometimes you can get away with having a visual that's just slightly vague that that the voiceover puts in context so that you understand it you know like i it doesn't even have to be, I think, deeply ironic the way that it usually needs to be in like a filmed, <laughs> um, filmed context. Um, but yeah, I, I think that could absolutely work. 
and I'm not at all opposed to it. And I think there's something to the maybe writing exercise of like trying to do it without, but I'm very like, I think it might, we might be able to save ourselves a lot of pages by uh, doing some of this stuff with voiceover. We might be able to tell certain parts of the story faster. So that's something to consider, especially as we get further and further into it and figure out exactly, you know, how many pages we are, we are looking at for this thing. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And it does give us a lot of, a lot of latitude to like really flesh out um, Tim in a very direct way. Right. Right. <laughs> Just tell us exactly what he's thinking. So, I mean, part of that is this discovering what it is that he's thinking. Right. I mean, we have to do some of that work. Um, so, right. So it's probably easier to write once we've gone through the script once anyway. That's so, what I'm kind of yeah. implying. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I think, yeah. So to the extent that you have ideas for it as we go through, I think you should do them and, and not be worried about it. And I'll try to do the same, but, um, uh, yeah, I think we can go back and add voiceover later. And I do think that is going to, I, I honestly do think that is going to be what we end up doing. I think that this, this story will benefit from the, um, the subjectivity that that provides. Well, any other, any other thoughts before we wrap it up? No more thoughts from me. Good work this week, John. We will be back with more beats of this script. Thank you for sticking with us. Those of you out there who are doing so. All right. So we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. This has been Constellation, making the graphic novel. Our theme song is Pomona by Audios. To subscribe to this podcast, look us up on iTunes or your favorite podcatcher application. You can find us on Twitter or on the web at constellationpodcast.com. Thanks for listening.